This episode of Out Alive is brought to you by Backpacker Basecamp. Go beyond the pages of Backpacker Magazine and join Backpacker Basecamp. Our new membership program connects you with exclusive benefits to get you out even more. Gear deals, video tutorials, exclusive newsletters, expert advice, members-only giveaways, and more. Join today at backpacker.com slash Basecamp. Fear isn't always rational. In fact, it's usually not. It's more like a blunt instrument of the mind to avoid certain bad sensations. Take this fear survey conducted by the Washington Post a few years back. Number one on the list was public speaking. And okay, a lot of us can relate to that. Number nine was zombies. The brain snacking, always marching undead. That's our ninth most powerful collective fear. Hikers organize their worries in the same way. Your chance of being attacked by a bear are something like one in two million. You have a better chance of dying by a bee sting. But for many of us, the grisly imagery of a mauling is what keeps us lying awake in our tents at night. Well, somebody's gotta be that unlucky one in two million. And that's the basis for our next story. I made a decision to survive. You're in that survival mode. The the idea of dying wasn't in my head. I knew immediately it was a worst case scenario. I was in a fight for my life situation. Whenever you walk out on these trails, you're in their house. I'm Louisa Albanese, and you're listening to Out Alive by Backpacker. In each episode of this podcast, we'll bring you real stories of real people who survived the unsurvivable. I saw the rope zip through the rappel ring, and I couldn't do anything. Learn what went wrong, what went right, and how you can escape if the worst-case scenario happens to you. There is no way we would find anybody alive. I didn't want to feel alone in this, so sitting here with me now is Zoe Gates, a fellow producer and the skills editor at Backpacker. Okay, Zoe, we live out here in the Mountain West, we work at Backpacker, and we hike a decent amount. I've never been irrationally worried about grizzly bears, but the nature of this next story is pretty horrifying. What's your take on bear attacks? Well, it's interesting, because we're always telling our readers to be more bear-aware in grizzly country. But statistically, bears are not really that dangerous to people. They've killed some 60 of us in the U.S. since the year 1900. 60 in the last 120 years isn't really that many. And in contrast, about 100 Americans die every year from bee stings. Exactly. But bears do respond to threats with physicality. They neutralize things that scare them by stomping, mauling, biting. Grizzlies can snap bones like popsicle sticks, and they're never more dangerous than when protecting their young. To introduce our story, I want you to listen to some audio from this video. You may remember it going viral on Facebook a few years ago. Okay, here it is. Yeah, life sucks in bear country. Just had a grizzly with two cubs come at me from about 80 yards. And uh, I sprayed the shit out of her with bear spray. And then I went on my face and protected the back of my neck. She got my head good. I don't know what's under my hat. My ear, my arm... Uh, pieces of stuff hanging out. I don't know what's going on in there. Pieces of stuff hanging out? Ugh, terrifying. Right, but that's the end of the story. To find out how we got here, let's rewind and let Todd tell us from the beginning. My name is Todd Orr, and I grew up in southwest Montana along the Madison River in a little town of Ennis, about an hour from Yellowstone Park. 
And I grew up learning how to fly fish and hunt, and my family was really into the outdoors and the camping and the, the adventure hiking, and we were always spending our weekends and our evenings outside, and that was my life, was in the woods. And then when I graduated from high school, I came to Bozeman and went to Montana State University and got a degree in fish and wildlife management. And now I work for the Forest Service doing all of their trails engineering on the Gallatin National Forest, usually by myself. And then during hunting season, I'm usually hunting by myself as well because I like to do 20 miles a day or so to cover a lot of country. And most of my friends aren't into that much exercise. So I'm alone about 90% of the time when I'm out in the woods. Well, it was October 1st, 2016, and I decided to get up in the hills and just try to get some exercise and scout for some elk before hunting season. And right at daylight, I stepped out into a, an opening. If it had been like hunting season and I'd have been hunting, I normally would stop at the edge of the trees and you're glassing the meadow because you don't want to spook something. But in this situation, I was in a hurry to get high, as high up on the mountain as I could right at daylight because that's your best time to see animals. And I wanted to get up there and get some photos and see if there was elk in the area. And so I was in more of a hurry than I normally would be. And so I had stepped probably 10 steps out into that opening before I saw the bear at the other end. This is a good time to bring in Tom Smith. He's a professor of wildlife and wildland conservation and is one of the leading experts on bears. We asked Tom for some perspective because for some people like Todd, hiking alone in bear country is just a reality of everyday life. But hiking with a friend has some pretty significant advantages. Here's Tom. I have looked at literally thousands of bear interactions in the States and Canada. We don't have a single time when two people stood their ground the bear touched them. They're, they're very exquisite risk evaluators. When they see they're outnumbered, they find something else to do. On the other side of this clearing, there was a sow, grizzly, and two cubs. And we saw each other about at the same time. And she immediately turned and ran up the ridge and disappeared over the hill. And so I thought, this is a good bear. She's going that direction. I'm not gonna see her again anymore today and wasn't really concerned. So I waited about a minute and then started heading the opposite direction. Took a few steps and heard a noise behind me over my shoulder and I turned and she had dropped the cubs, circled around the ridge and came off the hill charging at me, just wide open charge. Growing up in bear country in Montana and working for the Forest Service, I'm in the woods all the time where there's bears. And you get used to seeing them. And most of the time, if you're going to have an issue, it's a bluff charge. And so when I first saw her coming over the ridge, I was thinking, it's just a bluff charge. She's going to stop. And I'm just going to back out of this situation and everything will be fine. Here's Tom Smith again. Grizzlies having evolved in the treeless tundras where running isn't really an option, what, they've, what has risen to the top as the most successful strategy is the best defense is a good offense. So that's where you get an aggressive a defensive animal. I immediately pulled my bear spray, thinking it was probably a bluff charge, and then looking back up and realizing this is the real deal. She's not bluff charging, she's not stopping. Here she is at 30 feet already. She had covered like 30 yards in two seconds, and now there's hardly time to even bear spray. It was so close. It just happened that quick, and I just couldn't believe that this is the real deal. You know, what's, what's next? Bear spray. It's an amazingly effective deterrent. 
It's not like it works sometimes. It almost works all the time. Out of uh, 71 instances in Alaska of bear spray usage, only three people, 2% of the time were people injured. The injuries were minor. And for bears, there was no bears injured or otherwise um, hurt from the interaction. There are some things you need to know about bear spray. It's essentially a very intense pepper spray, similar to what you might use on an attacker in a dark alley. Pepper spray and bear spray are literally made out of hot peppers. It's the same stuff that you find in nearly every brand of your favorite spicy hot sauce. Yeah, but an important note, bear spray is not like DEET or mosquito repellent and should only ever be sprayed at a charging bear and not on yourself, your campsite, clothing, or tent. You can laugh, but park rangers say this happens every summer. On you or your gear, the pepper can actually attract bears. I see like a dozen bears every year probably, mostly black bears, but an occasional grizzly, and usually they, they run the other direction as soon as they see you. Or they'll, they're just curious and they look at you and they're trying to figure out what you are, but rarely do you have an issue. But, you know, sometimes that something goes wrong in this situation, that bear was very aggressive and she felt that I was a threat to her cubs. And there was no bluff charging, there was no hesitating. She just wanted me dead, I think. And there she was at about 30 feet, just coming wide open through the grass, ears laid back and a full charge. And I just opened the can of bear spray, sprayed her right in the face and her momentum just carried her right through the cloud. And there I was and she jumped on me. And I turned and went down on my face trying to protect the back of my head and my neck. Most of their attacks when they actually touch people are very short, less than one to two minutes. And if a human can take the proper posture, face down, hands interlaced over the neck, elbows out, legs spread so that the bear can't hook its paw under your hip and roll you over, thereby protecting your face and your neck, um, it's not gonna last long. That first attack was probably only about five seconds. She came through the bear spray. I went down on my face. She was on top of my back and bit me five or six times on my right arm and shoulder. And that's about all it took before that bear spray got to her and then she was gone instantly. Disappeared as quick as she showed up. I mean, I hear this debate going on about bears. Some of them aren't affected by it. I don't know, man. Their, their physiology is just too much like ours. When that stuff gets in your throat and in your nose and in your eyes, all of a sudden, you have a whole different per, uh, set of priorities in life, which is I, I may have been startled by that thing standing in the trail, but I have two eyes I can't use anymore. I'm coughing. You know, I mean, that's the report most everybody has. And so I picked myself up and just thinking how lucky I was to survive a bear attack and started heading back down the trail to go to the hospital. And about five minutes down the trail, and I was just about to cross the creek, and it's kind of noisy because of the water there, and all of a sudden I heard some little noise behind me, and I started to turn, and here she was a second time. Something to remember is trails are favored by a lot of animals. So bears, as strong as they are, they're lazy like us. They're not going to go over a bunch of jackstrawed trees when they can just get on a trail. And so that he ran into the bear on the trail again isn't surprising. She was 
probably 10 feet behind me and I just caught a glimpse of her out of the corner of my eye and immediately she was on top of me, knocked me down into the dirt and I'm face down. I immediately went back to that position to try to protect the back of my head and my, my neck. There's nothing I could do at this point but just try to ride it out again and that's when it, it got ugly. When you look at the vast majority of grizzly attacks, they're clearly not predatory or they'd sit there and eat the person. You know, the bear didn't come back for more of the same. The bear would have been trying to get the heck away from the guy. It's just a surprise thing and bears don't go out of their way to be surprised. So the fact that it ran into him twice, it was just very unfortunate. We need to stop for a moment and say that for us, Todd, and even bear expert Tom Smith, what actually happened next is just conjecture. Tom Smith, as a scientist, is reluctant to say that this bear tracked Todd down, or even that this is the same bear, period. Either way, we can all agree that being attacked twice is extraordinarily unlucky. Right. It's even harder to tell since the second attack came from behind. While ordinary bear behavior would suggest that Todd surprised the same bear again, the truth is that wild animals are unpredictable, and there are plenty of cases of animals not following the script. She was really mad this time, and she first bite was in my left arm, and I heard the crunch of the bone and felt as she ripped the tendons and the muscle. That feeling made me wince, and I made kind of this noise like, ah, and pulled my arm away, and that motion just triggered a frenzy. She picked me up, shaked me back and forth, slammed me back down, and at one point she bit me in the side. And I remember it kind of turned me and I looked right into her eye from like a foot away. And I just kept telling myself, just pull it down tight. Don't let her get to your face or your throat. And I just used every bit of strength that I could just to stay face down. And she was on top of me, just had me pinned to the ground. And I remember at one point a claw caught the side of my, the right side of my head and it ripped about a five inch gash in my scalp and my eyes just filled with blood. So here I am just helpless. I don't have my bear spray. I can't, I don't know what's going on. I can't see. And I just kept telling myself over and over. It's like, don't move. She's going to leave. She's going to go back and check on her cubs. Just have to ride this out. And so I'm trying to hold my breath, trying not to make a sound. And I remember the, the pain from that first bite was excruciating, but then that will to survive kicks in and I just like blocked out the pain. I don't remember any pain from that point on, but I, all my other senses were heightened. I can remember how much she smelled, just how she stunk so bad, like death. They eat rotten flesh. They're looking for carcasses. They're just eating stuff that's rotten and terrible. And that's exactly what she smelled like. And I'll never forget that smell as she's on top of my back, breathing on the back of my neck. It was just the worst smell ever, something I'll never forget. I think I was mostly just thinking about surviving. It wasn't, I really, you know, people say, oh, did your life flash before your eyes and all these memories. And, and in this situation, when you have a bear that's on top of you and it's growling and chewing on you, you don't really think about anything, but how do I survive the next two seconds? And I just, my 100% of my focus was on every bit of strength I could to hold myself face down and to just kept telling myself, don't move, don't move, and just trying to block out that pain. And it's amazing what the human body can do when you're in that survival situation, that you can block out the pain, you can shut everything out, and just focus on, on getting through it. But I kept telling myself, she's gonna leave, just hang, hang in there a little bit longer, ride this out, she's gonna go back and check on her cubs. And I think that's what got me through it, was just that, that will to survive and to know that 
If I don't move, she's gonna leave. I knew what bears usually do, and usually they don't wanna eat you. That's pretty rare. So I was hoping that I was just a threat, and if the threat was eliminated, and she, if I wasn't moving, that she would be on her way and go back to her cubs, and I could get out of there. So here's a person rendered basically totally senseless. The bear would eat. It's clearly not interested in eating. It's interested in moving on or doing what it was doing. Like Tom and Todd have both said, grizzly bears don't typically see us as food, except in very rare cases. It can happen, though. In 2015, an employee in Yellowstone National Park was killed and eaten by a brown bear. Finally, she just stopped, and it was silent for like 30 seconds. And I think she was probably looking around for her cubs. And at that point, you know, I'm just still trying not to breathe. I can't hardly breathe because all of her weights got me smashed into the dirt. And she all of a sudden stepped off and disappeared. I wasn't sure if she was 10 feet away watching me or if she'd gone over the ridge to check on her cubs. So I just held that position for about 30 seconds. And then I got to thinking that if she does come back and I'm still there, I'm going to have a third attack. And so I knew I had to do something to protect myself. And I reached underneath my chest where I had my pistol in a shoulder holster and it was gone. It had been ripped off during the attack. So now I felt completely helpless and knew I had to get out of there. And so I reached up, wiped the blood from my eyes and slowly looked each direction. And she was nowhere to be seen. So I saw my pistol laying over there and I dove for the pistol and grabbed it out of the holster and hammered back just in case, but she was gone. Again, this instance is the exception and not the rule. Todd was carrying both a pistol and bear spray. While neither saved him from getting mauled, some people have wondered if he should have used the gun first. We asked Tom Smith about the debate on firearms versus bear spray. Do we have to have a debate about this? One of them's a little can that can swing on your finger, and with one almost immeasurable stroke of the thumb, the stuff's coming out of there. On the other extreme, you've got something that's a lot of times a heavy hunting gun that's made out of metal and wood it's slung over your shoulder you don't go around hiking on trails with the one in the chamber and the safety off unless you want to shoot yourself and so you're walking along here comes a bear and it's charging everything possible is not in your favor for pulling that shot off you know and i have people say well i'm really good with firearms yeah the shooting range But uh, if the paper targets were to jump down and chase you around and maul you, I think we could see a little bit uh, more humble statements about how good they are with a firearm. My left arm is completely helpless, worthless, and just just hanging there all crimped up from the muscle damage and the broken arm. So I have the pistol tucked under my armpit, and I got the bear spray in my right hand, and I had about an hour hike out of there. Within... 10 minutes of hiking, the adrenaline starts to wear off a little bit and I could feel the pain in my left arm and that was excruciating. I had a lot of muscle damage. The The forearm muscle was tore in about three pieces and two tendons had been severed and were sticking out of my arm. And so my arm felt like it was in a vice. It was like kind of hooked over and a lot of nerve damage as well. And the other Puncture wounds on my arm were more superficial. I mean, they were deep wounds, but compared to the pain in my left arm, the rest of it I didn't really even notice. But still, your adrenaline's still going, and your focus is you got to get out of the woods, you got to get to the hospital, and so you still kind of block out a lot of that, and you just focus on doing the what you needed to do, the task at hand, and that was to get out of the woods and get to the safety of the vehicle. Yeah, life sucks in bear country. 
just had a grizzly with two cubs come at me from about 80 yards and uh, I sprayed the shit out of her with bear spray and then I went to, on my face and protected the back of my neck. She got my head good. I don't know what's under my hat. I had about a 20 minute drive on this four wheel drive road down to the highway and then still didn't have any cell service. And then I had about another 20 minute drive to get into town to the hospital. And I had stopped on the way down at the ranch. There was a, a guy that was getting into his mailbox and I stopped and got his attention. He came over and saw the blood on my face and I told him, hey, I've just attacked by a grizzly bear and I'm heading to the hospital. Can you give him a call and just let him, you know, give him some warning that I'm on my way. My, my scalp, I had probably 50 stitches in my scalp to sew that up. The next day I had to go into an orthopedic surgeon and they reattached the tendons and stitched up the muscle in my arm. And I had about three or four months of physical therapy about three days a week to try to get movement back into my hand. I had a couple fingers that wouldn't work. My wrist was really weak. But overall, I was, you know, I survived a terrible thing with minimal, you know, lasting damage. There's a few people out there who have taken instances like, you know, Todd Orr's and said, see, 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 it doesn't work. And I say, yeah, in 2% of the cases it didn't, but let's keep it all in perspective here. It's like telling the public that seatbelts sometimes kill people. They do, but let's be real here. I mean, they save so many, many people that to put that out there as something that undermines people's confidence, that's almost irresponsible. You know, I think as long as one keeps a healthy perspective, it's good to look at these things. I knew that I had to get back out in the woods right away just to get over that fear. And so I had a, a brace on my arm for about six weeks to keep my wrist back and my fingers up so I wouldn't tear anything loose after the surgery. And after that six weeks, I had about four days left in hunting season. So I would actually went back to the same area, took a buddy with me, went back to the same area and walked right by where I was attacked and kind of told the story to him. That spring, I'm back at the Forest Service and I'm back into bear country by myself, working in the woods again. And that first day back in the woods that next spring, I'm driving up to the trailhead and a sow with a, a sow grizzly with one cub runs across the road in front of me and stops at like 50 yards and stands up looking at me. And then she took off. I remember the whole rest of that day I was on edge just knowing that this could happen again. I'm in bear country and you just never know. Everybody always said, uh, it'll never happen again. You could do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about it. But when you're in a bear country every day in that kind of a situation, you know, maybe it won't happen for 20 years or maybe it could happen the next day. You just don't know. So that's a little, it's a little scary, but uh, I'm back out there. My life is in the woods and my job is in the woods and I can't imagine not being outside in the outdoors. So I think every day I don't get attacked by a bear, it gets a little bit better. It could, it could be you next time that gets attacked and to prevent that, you've got to pay attention. You've got to be aware of your surroundings out there and be prepared. You know, if you have bear spray, know how to use it, practice pulling the safety clip out, practice drawing it, and do the best you can because you just never know when it could be you. If you guys want more information about this story, and you know you do, if you wanna see the video that Todd created moments after getting attacked, if you wanna see photos of his injuries, then go to backpacker.com slash outalive. 
Hey listeners, we want to hear from you. Reach out in the comments, send us an email, podcast at backpacker.com, or join in the conversation at hashtag backpacker out alive. Do you have a backcountry survival story? Let us know that too. This episode was produced by me, Louisa Albanese, Zoe Gates, and Amelia Arvison with sound design by Matt Coderre. Our sound editor is Christopher Wright from Work at Bird Studios. Our interns are Will Halbert and David Gleisner. Thanks to Todd Orr for being willing to share his story with us and for Tom Smith for regaling us with his expertise. If you enjoyed this episode of Out Alive, please subscribe and leave us a review. 